Big Fluff. I stayed in Amsterdam for a while because it was glorious there. He was steady and strong. She was bold and luminous. It was what the French call a coup de foudre, love at first sight. She made her art. I was their best friend with my new eye. We helped vets okay. passing through town. We went dancing all the time. It was magnificent. These tango parlors. You really feel like you're flying. I'm Amsterdam. And I'm Amsterdam. And this is Amsterdam, the podcast where we Amsterdam maligned movies and we find their silver Amsterdams. Amsterdam, this Amsterdam, we're Amsterdamming Amsterdam maligned movies. Uh, no, it's it's March and the Oscars are in March, so we're watching failed Oscar bait and boy, did this movie swing and miss. It's Amsterdam. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I didn't know I would miss that movie where a president got a hand job from his cousin, but you know... It's, and FDR was tangentially related to this movie. No hand jobs. No hand jobs. No hot dog eating contests. Bullshit. We didn't know how good we had it with. Yeah. What is it? Hudson Park on Hyde, Hyde Park on Hudson. Yeah. Nailed it. Kill it. Crushed it. <laughs> yeah. Um, whew. Whew. Okay. Yeah. So uh, to properly set this up. Yes. Yeah, so we're doing uh, failed Oscar bait films once again. And this is from uh, this past year. This would be this Oscars. You won't hear about it at the Oscars because yes. it did not sweep the nation despite its uh, prestige director, uh, stacked cast and uh, beautiful cinematography. Yeah, this David O. Russell directed movie starring Oscar winner Christian Bale, Oscar nominee Margot Robbie um, Oscar winner Robert De Niro, Oscar winner Rami Malek, um, Oscar nominee Anya Taylor-Joy, and others. Andrea Riseborough, who's nominated this year in another movie. Yep. Uh, Ed Begley Jr. Yeah. Bam! You got the Begs. Leland Orser? Kapow! <laughs> Taylor Swift? Zing! She has the most Grammys of anyone in this movie. I'm pretty sure Tim Timothy Oliphant has 17 Grammys. Yeah, he does for most awesome dude ever. Yeah, he wins most awesome dude ever, which is weird that that's a Grammy award because that's not a musical category. But here we are. Yeah, I mean, the Grammys don't make sense. No, they do not. I mean, the B Sharps have a Grammy. That's true. They do. For best spoken word, bluegrass or barbershop album. Yep. Yeah. Deservedly so. Doesn't Homer leave it? Uh, in a like hotel or something <laughs> he throws it out the window and uh a busboy says "Ooh, an award statue oh it's a grammy that's what i remember i remember the busboy i did i forgot that yeah he threw it out the window but i do remember that yeah so that that definitely happens um this movie also to the best of my knowledge did not win a grammy 
I don't think it did. I mean, as much there's a lot of music in this, but I don't think I don't even think it got a best song nomination for that nonsense song that they sing. No, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) (sighs) This movie, like, I think the thing that that irks me most about this film is that and I, I, I texted this to you when we were both watching it that. David O. Russell was like counting his Oscars. He was like moving space on his shelf for the next one to go in for this movie. Like it just you could just smell that on the movie. A hundred percent. Well, yeah. And I mean, that's how you get this cast. That's how you get the quality of people involved in this is the belief that David O. Russell is a guy that's going to win you an Academy Award because, I mean, he has won people (laughs) Academy Awards. And he's never done anything for this podcast. No, not once. Never once. No, I mean, that's the thing is like, we're not influenced by him. There's nothing similar about his work in the name of this podcast or anything. I mean, nothing at all is inspired by work that he may have put out 13 years ago. None of it. Yeah. I mean, what would it be? It's not called I Heart Huckabees. No, this podcast is not called I Heart Movabees. (laughs) Which was pitched. Uh, you know, there's only two of us. We did think about calling it Three Kings, but there's only two of us. Yeah, we thought Two Kings. We we pissed that for a while. We, we did. Yeah. And so thanks again to our loyal listeners for listening to Joy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. That was um, about a mop. I watched that one. Yeah, it was about a mop. Yeah, it wasn't. It was about a woman with some real American hustle. Yeah. Science. I hate in. that movie. Science. I, I'm going to tell you what. Like. Look, I think let's let's get our David O. Russell, uh, you know, yeah, cards on the there. table, because first of all, let's acknowledge the uh, just truth of, uh, you know, he was accused of assaulting his uh, teenage cousin. Yes. Like, so let's just also we'll get that out on the right. And I, he didn't even really deny it. He his defense of it was essentially, yeah, it happened, but it was OK. So let's. Let's just move on. Say that. Yeah, let's put that out in the world. Okay. Uh, But also, yeah, so David O. Russell, I will say that I think just, again, and it's separating from the art from the artist, obviously, but uh, his earlier work, I enjoy some of it to varying degrees, and his more recent work, I have not liked. Uh, Yeah, I think I would echo that sentiment. I I definitely liked I Heart Huckabees and Three Kings. Yeah. And, and uh, I the fighter, too. And the fighter I liked a lot. That yeah. may have been the least David O. Russell movie that David O. Russell, David O. Russell. I mean, he made a, a pretty straightforward, Rocky-esque, inspirational sports fighting movie. And Heidi Gardner was great in it. Yeah, no, she was. And so were Mikey, as, Nikki, and Peppa. I was going to say, <laughs> as, as were Mikey, Nikki, and Peppers. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. We tried to uh, get her for this podcast, but she was at her sister's. Yeah. Yeah. So we couldn't get her. <laughs> um, no, I really like those three movies. I do like Silver Linings Playbook. I don't. Like, I, I acknowledge it is very flawed. But I don't, I, I like, like, first of all, I don't like it. And second of all, it, it's what validated Bradley Cooper. So we're all here. Look, if you watched the Super Bowl and you were like, why is this guy? He's at the game. He's doing commercials. He's doing the pregame video package. The, David O. Russell did that. Yeah, he did. Yeah. I just want that acknowledged. We could have had 
the It's Always Sunny crew be the most famous Philadelphia Eagles fans, but no. It had to be a non-Philadelphian. I guess he is a fan of the team. Is he? I think he is, yeah. Okay, great. Cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're recording this shortly after the Super Bowl, and I, I don't know, I just want to point out that um, I saw an Instagram live feed from Rob Riggle, who's a huge Chiefs fan, just surrounded by pissed off Eagles fans, and it was glorious. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing is, if, you know, by the time people are listening to this, we're a few weeks removed from the Super Bowl, but Philly will never get over the end of that game. So no. it, it, that's evergreen. Yeah, that's like the much like the Eagles jerseys. Yes. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, we're not here to talk about the Super Bowl. I only brought that up to say that, like, look, that movie It did two things. It ripped off the name of this podcast and it validated Bradley Cooper. Yes. Also, Um, this ties into this movie, too. I think that movie and every David O. Russell movie that he's done have been some of the worst acting that I've seen Robert De Niro do. Yeah, I have an in. So I agree 100 percent. Except there's this one tiny moment and it's not enough to call it a silver lining by any stretch of any imagination but it's like right when they introduce robert de niro's character on screen when uh the scooby gang meets up with him and like he just kind of like flicks his suspenders and goes yep and i'm like oh right dude can act circles around anybody if he wants to and then proceeds not to the rest of the movie yeah i mean it it didn't because and to be clear i say all this because it's tough love because i think robert de niro is one of the greatest actors like alive today like if you look at his filmography him and Pacino they both did the same thing they were you watch both of them in the 70s and they put on acting clinics and you watch both of them now and they don't but they they suck in completely opposite ways yes yeah it's it's one of them got louder and the other got way less into one of them's going the Harrison Ford track yeah He's fording his way through the <laughs> the twilight of his cinema career. Although I will say just Harrison Ford continues to. Uh, I love watching the man. Adore it. Yes. Yeah. Like, I love every second of it. I will go see that Indiana Jones movie. Yeah. And then inevitably talk about it for this podcast. Oh, we're definitely doing that on the podcast. I mean, it's weird. They only did three and then they haven't done another one for a very they long took time. Almost a 35 year break. Yeah. So then... we're going to cover that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's uh, but yeah, Robert De Niro, like there is this moment. And I when I was watching the movie, I was like, oh, right. De Niro is the man. Yeah. Oh, no, he's back to phoning it in. OK, yeah, that's cool. Yep. I love at the end when they did that. They did an Argo at the end where they were like, look, look, here's real footage. We did it. We did. We did the thing like the thing. They, but we changed his name. But we changed his name and he doesn't look like him or sound like him. But right. it's the words. But that he was, says the words. I did like I that always I mentioned Argo because I do think it's the most egregious where Argo really did a victory lap during its credits of like, look at the real photos and the people. And it's like Ben Affleck is playing a guy named Tony Mendez. Like maybe maybe I will cal- say maybe calm it down. <laughs> yeah. And in the case of Argo, though, they got Rory Cochran and Clea Duvall to look exactly like the people they were playing. I, I think she plays an Asian woman though like i think the original actor like person that she's portraying is asian retracted yeah <laughs> rory cochran though looks exactly like the guy he's playing 
Yeah. I mean, look, the costume designers had photos. They did good jobs. But yeah. like, I I don't know. I just always find that funny. It's like you're a made up movie. I look, first of all, I don't find you credible. And second of all, like, this is not going to sell me like, oh, oh, they had photos. Well, and the other weird thing is that uh, Robert De Niro's character in the movie is named Gil Dillenbeck, General Gil Dillenbeck. And they went to the school of funny names to come up with his title. Mm -hmm. The real general that he's portraying, Smedley Butler. Smelly butthead. Yeah. yeah. Smelly butthole. (laughs) Yeah. Like, that's just a silly name. So I don't know why he didn't just play Smedley Butler. Yeah, they needed to just go uh, Garbage Pail Kids with it. Poopy McShitface. I also can we like while we're in the maligning portion, uh, which would be the most of this, honestly, I have us yeah. overlining. I've got one ready. I mean, I know the one you have, but yeah. I, I've, I've got a couple. But uh, I what was going on with when they were do the footage, like the actual like newsreel, you know, 1930s. Uh, it was supposed to look like the film and they did it too, where they would do the stuff they shot and then they would cut to actual newsreel stuff at the time. And it's for as talented as everyone involved is in this. Why did you not do some filters to make your newsreel footage look even remotely like it wasn't shot on a probably red 4k like camera? Right. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. The like fake newsreel footage literally just looks like they put the black and white Instagram filter over gorgeous crisp cinematography, which is 100% what they did. Uh, And then that is juxtaposed immediately to actual newsreel footage, uh, which, you know, looks like it's from the 1930s. Yeah. Which I just, I mean, I think you could do either or, right? Like you could not show the 1930s footage and we could just accept that you're going to do 4k black and white footage and whatever who cares but why mix the two if you're gonna try to make it look like it's part of the newsreel then make it look like part of the newsreel right if they could do that in 1992 with forrest gump or 96 whatever it was well and that's i mean that's a like there's so much that you can do because that's such a big thing with digital cameras is there's a lot of directors that really are attached to the way that film looks there are are so many filters that will give you film grain and you know i mean i don't know specifically there's a readily available 1930s camera if anyone's really trying to do that uh, on command but there probably is i mean there's enough movies that want to have stuff that looks old well and you're not going to convince me that you know they can't make photorealistic cgi that they can't make things look like the 1930s. You're never going to convince me of that. Yeah, no, I mean, it's literally a filter is what you need to put over it. That would just make it look grainy and less 4K. Right. Yeah. So. Pick but, up the pace. <laughs> not the biggest problem in the movie, but it did no. bother me. Yeah. Um. So when I was uh, I watched this movie last night, you watched it today. Mm hmm. And when I was texting you about it, and this is still my take on the movie, um, it's like chat GPT was told to write a Coen Brothers movie. And this is what happened. Yeah, no, it definitely it wants to be a fun romp Coen esque. Like it wants to be 
the big Lebowski or, or something like that, where it's like, we're going to have a long and winding unfolding mystery. But a big part of this appeal is just vibes. The kooky characters and the yeah. vibe. Yeah. And it's just, it's not, yeah, it doesn't work. It just totally doesn't work. It, it's not fun. Most of the people don't feel like they're having fun. Like a lot of the performances feel pretty flat. Like, you know, I mean, Christian Bale is doing what he does and everything where he's committing 110%. And you know that he decided is like, I'm playing Peter Falk in this movie and nobody wanted to tell him otherwise. Yeah. I mean, the man loves uh, uh, doing a silly voice. I did. I will say so I read that in the the trivia that he was doing Peter Falk. And then when I read it, I went, oh, OK. But I didn't immediately get that from his performance. And well, and I love that, like, also what I gleaned from the trivia is that because the character he was playing had a glass eye. Oh, that was definitely Falk had a glass eye. He's like, I'll just do Peter Falk. One hundred percent. That was the thought process. And I'm like, bless you, Christian Bale. I mean, no one stopped him from doing the Batman voice. So what, they're going to stop right. him now? Yeah, they're not going to stop him from doing Peter Falk if they're yeah. some, I know where it occupies. <laughs> what if he did this whole movie like that? <laughs> Amsterdam. We decided to stay in Amsterdam. <laughs> we were what the French call. Le that would have been better. Honestly, he should have done it. Yeah, it's it's that would have been funny. <laughs> but uh, can we also can we talk about the glass eye? Because this is another I put this up there on the same level as like the newsreel footage. I feel like when the movie was interested in in showing it as a glass eye that like, you know, they would he'd take it out or something or they would do effects. But 90 percent of this movie, it's just his eye. And they don't try to make it look like it's not identical to the other eye and moving just like the other eye and just a normal eye. Yeah, it definitely dilates and, uh, you know, moves with light and everything. Which, I mean, I understand because that would be apparently this movie went way over budget and lost a ton of money. A lot of that was uh, COVID related to like pushing production and what and everything. But like. This movie lost money and didn't get good critical response. But at the same time, like you made this choice to make a big deal about his eye and say that he has a glass eye and then he doesn't. Right. Like if you're going to make if you're going to draw attention to it. Be consistent. Yeah, you, you're you getting us to look at it and then not being consistent. Yeah. But again, small problem. We should. I mean, we're like 20 minutes into this episode. And I don't think we've properly even set up the plot, but I think we can, I think so we've kind of hinted at it, but just to set it up properly, this is set up as a mystery. You know, it starts with that Christian Bale's character is a doctor and uh, an unlicensed doctor, an unlicensed uh, doctor. And um, John David Washington is like his friend who works with him, who's a lawyer. Right. And, um, they are brought by Taylor Swift, the body of her father who's died under suspicious circumstances. She wants them to do an autopsy. They do an autopsy. We set up like, okay, who killed this guy? It's going to be a murder mystery. And then it 
cuts to a flashback and spends a long time showing in us france how, in france in amsterdam too and then amsterdam uh but showing us them in the war them uh like how they became friends and then how they met margot robbie and became a thruple and then had love a good thruple had good times in amsterdam until uh, he left to go see Academy Award nominated actress Andrea Riseborough, who was his uh, wife, who doesn't love him. Who's a wife whose parents sent him away to fight in the war <laughs> because they don't like him. Right. Yeah. And so he wants to go back to her. And so we get all of this backstory. So we we set up a murder mystery and it it's like, you know, like I was watching. I'm like, OK, I get what we're doing. We're doing a murder mystery. And that's like, nope. Now we're stopping that. And we're going to do a whole backstory for an extended period of time. And then, I don't know, we're going to wander aimlessly for a while. And then in the end, we're going to remember that this was supposed to be a murder mystery. And we're going to do uh, this real historical based plot thing. Right. That the murder is related to this real potential plot to try to overthrow the government from Roosevelt. In Which the early even, days of the great of the of his presidency, I feel like even at the end when they were trying to put a bow on everything, they were like, "And the guy died because he knew about it." I guess like it was like they forgot that they had to tie the murder to the the plot, so it was just like, uh, "And he 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 knew." So they, I guess, they killed him. That that was that. And you want to know who saved the kids? It was Mo. Yeah, <laughs> it had that feel to it. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I think that's a, a the biggest problem. Again, we've been focusing on micro problems, but I think the macro problem is you want to do a Coen Brothers movie. You're not pulling it off. It's not fun. It, we're not just into the hanging out, but also, yeah, you set up a murder mystery, but then you, you lose all of the tension and suspense of solving it, which again, that works in the big Lebowski because the Coens are very good at what they do. You know, they they can do these sort of they can do Fargo. They can do these. Right. Long, well, and big Lebowski rambling. is not about the mystery. The mystery is just the connective tissue to get all these wacky scenes with these wild characters. Right. And this is not that. But I think it thinks that it's that. No, it definitely wants to be, but it definitely isn't. <clears throat> Yeah. So, but yeah, it, that that is, in a nutshell, the macro problems with this movie. Um, and instead, it just becomes an all star cast standing around wondering how they all got roped into this. Yeah, the real mystery was how I wound up here working for way less than my normal pay. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, the real winner of this movie is Michael B. Jordan, who was supposed to be in it and then had couldn't do it because of the delays. And yeah, uh, you know, like <laughs> he was saved. Right. God bless you, Michael B. Jordan, because he probably went and did Creed three instead. Right. And that looks awesome. So which I think that movie is going to be badass yeah. and a movie we'll never talk about on this podcast. No, we don't get to ever talk about any of the creeds. They're too good. No, the, the, it's. We could do yeah. some Rockies, but we, we did, did a Rocky. Yeah. Yeah, we did a Rocky. Yeah. I, the, the, the Rocky we could most do for this podcast, we did already. So, well, I don't know. Is four? Four is probably too late. I, I, it's the it's the movie that ended the Cold War. I, I submit that it is not maligned. Yeah, that's true. I'm I, sure critics hated it. We could probably do Balboa like Rocky Balboa. Yeah, maybe Rocky Balboa. But that I that's I it's for sure better than five. 
I mean, yeah, five five was rough. Yeah. Anyways, uh, back to Amsterdam. 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 That's, that's actually all I got. Uh, we I figure we should talk about the movie because that's the movie we're doing this week. Um, yeah, like it's just it's meandering. You never care enough about whether they succeed or fail in their mission to find the murderer. Well, because they don't care. They, right. they, there isn't much time spent trying to find because I think that's the whole deal is every time this movie seems like it's going to get reinvested in the murder plot. It It's just everything is another because a good example. So, again, we start the murder plot and then we get all these flashbacks to the war and then to Amsterdam and then we go back to present day and then they're like, OK, we're investigating. We're going to this house. And then once we're on it again, then it's like, wait a second. Nope. Margot Robbie lives in this house and we haven't talked to her for 12 years and now she's here and now we're caught up in that again. And they're gaslighting her into thinking she has a nerve disease. Yeah, which that is revealed at the end. And I, I, again, it tries to explain everything at the end and none of it felt satisfactory. No, it it did. It felt like the third at like the very last reel of Wayne's World, where she's like, and this all happened, which I mean, Wayne's World was doing it farcically. Yeah, and Mike Myers was in this, so maybe he pitched that. Maybe that's maybe maybe he's like pitching it. And he's like, you know, I did this little movie in the early nineties. Maybe you heard of it, Wayne's World? Anyone? Anyone? And they were and then he was like And they flashed back and watched Wayne's World. And had a great time. Yeah. It was weird because we mentioned Wayne's World, but there's a lot of like Mike Myers tangents to this movie. He's doing another movie with Rami Malik, uh, who they did Bohemian Rhapsody together. Yes. And uh, which I can't think of their scene now without thinking of Weird Al parodying it in uh, in Weird, in the Al Yankovic story, where he plays the Mike Myers part and just like does the whole like, this is terrible, this music <laughs> like bit. But uh, like there's that. And then also he's playing a soldier, which then just is the same it. character he plays in Inglorious Bastards. Pretty much. Yeah. This is like leading up to all of that, you know, but yeah, this is still about Nazis and white supremacists and such. And he's a British soldier doing the exact same accent. I think he's wearing the same costume. I think he just kept it. Yeah, I think it's just he had that's the the bit that he could never get it off. Yeah. After Inglorious Bastards, he's been stuck living like that. And he finally found a role he could play to use that look. I just realized, like, I think Mike Myers likes doing movies with bastards. In them, Inglorious Bastards, Fat Bastard, Wayne's World Two, The Bastards. Yeah, that's where you found out that uh, even though Wayne says that he like lives with his parents, that he doesn't actually have parents. Right, they're actually his uh, adopted parents. Yeah, he's a bastard. Yeah, uh, he was in Game of Thrones. Obviously, the Battle of the Bastards. He mm-hmm. played the he played the the bastard. Yeah, that they, they were fighting over him. <laughs> it was like, who's yeah. Who's going to get him? Yeah. Um, I think that speaks. And I don't think that necessarily Mike Myers is part of this, but like. Michael Shannon, Tim- Timothy Oliphant and several others are just criminally underused in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because uh, I got very excited when Timothy Oliphant showed up and I was like, OK, here we go. Look, here's a man who has never missed. 
as far as I'm concerned. He is he is a perfect and I still say that he didn't miss in this movie at all. Timothy Oliphant's amazing, but he shows up and then he's gone for way too long. And then he shows up at the end and then is much less interesting at the end than he was at the beginning of this movie, because act one, Timothy Oliphant is a great character. Act three, Timothy Oliphant is a we need to wrap this up like just dumb idiot with no plan. Right. And it's very disappointing. I think if you did a straightforward murder, you know, plot that you were trying to solve with him as this heavy that you're uh, is trying to stop you, it's immediately a better movie. If you just cut all of the tangents and just focused on that, it's already so much better. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree 100 percent. Like. Why bother making Timothy Oliphant show up to set if you're not going to just let him roam and be one of the most like entrancing screen personas of the last 20 years? What's also it just hit me now because, again, this is the way this movie is. They do a scene. So we get the introductory scene to him, which I will. We'll get back to that. But uh, then the second time we see him is. Uh, the you know our two main characters are standing on a street corner, and Oliphant and his boys like roll up in this car and they start shooting, not at them but near them in order to intimidate them. And we get a voiceover from Christian Bale that's essentially, oh, if he's not trying to kill us, hey, what he has something worse planned for us. And then you watch the whole movie and he doesn't. Because at the end, the, it's this assassination plot that doesn't involve them. Right. So what what did he have planned for them? Oh, he had something. You better believe it. He did. It's a plan. It he's was. got it cooked up. He's cooking it up. <laughs> Maybe he's just a really bad shot. He's like, no, I was trying to kill you. No, I was, I was, no, I was actually trying to shoot you. I'm just, uh, you know, I too lost my eye in the war. Also, I, we're in a moving car. This is not a thing yet. <laughs> Yeah, we're, like we invented the drive-by for this movie. We're like, we're not good at it yet. <laughs> you know, work in progress, man. Give, cut me a little slack. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that yeah. being said, hearing him say Six Semper Tyrannus makes me want to see a John Wilkes Booth movie starring Timothy Oliphant as John Wilkes Booth. Yeah. Yeah, I'd watch it. I know you would. I'd watch him trying to kill Daniel Day-Lewis Lincoln. Oh, man. Yeah, right? Just a companion piece. It's it's just intercut with shots of Daniel Day-Lewis's, and we're editing Timothy Oliphant into the background. No, I say straight on sequel. I know that he quit acting, but I say we've convinced Daniel Day-Lewis to come back to do one more Lincoln movie where we murder him, where Timothy Oliphant shoots him. Because if there's one thing I know that... Uh, one of the most uh, integ, one of the men with the highest integrity in cinema would do is come back out of retirement for a cash grab sequel. <laughs> Maybe no one's asked him. I think everyone's scared of Daniel Day Lewis. Maybe he wants. I think Daniel Day Lewis would have done a Fast and Furious movie, but no one had the gall to ask him, and he would have. Like lived in a car for two years. He would have crushed that John Cena role. And I'm th John Cena was good. Don't get me wrong. But well, also, oh, my God, if he played the John Cena role, that is Dom Toretto's brother, which means he would have studied Vin Diesel 
and would have just learned how to be a like Vin Diesel would have watched it and cried and been like, that's me. That's me. That's me. That's family. He is family. <laughs> that's my brother right there. <laughs> Daniel Day Diesel. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's who that is. <laughs> family it's just the two of them talking like you abandoned me because you're family no but you're still family even with family family it's <laughs> your family is still my family because we're family even though we walked out on our family but that's not what family does okay so look i think the things that are going to hold this up are the fact that daniel day lewis is retired and the fact that they're not making any more fast and furious movies but i think if you look past those two things there's a chance that we could somehow make Daniel Day-Lewis a, another brother besides they have a third brother. We do another. Look, I saw the preview for the Fast X and we're just retconning Jason Momoa into Fast Five. So we could retcon Daniel, Daniel Day-Lewis Day into all of these movies. Yeah, which I think they should do. 100% we should see every movie. There should be one where he's like the the hot lady that flags when the cars start but that's daniel day lewis that one time like she re-edit the opening race from fast and furious and it's just daniel day lewis in a checkered striped bikini yes yeah so we do that one uh we uh we edit him into like when ludicrous and uh and um tyrese tyrese are having their one-upsmanship of all their money at the end of fast five He's just like a salesman at one of the stores that they go to. <laughs> no, one of them, they, they, he spends so much money. He, uh, he pays for, to make a Daniel day Lewis prestige picture. <laughs> yeah, we just, so we're going to do that, but yeah, I think Daniel day Lewis should be Dom and John Cena's older brother that is also, yes. was also just out of frame this whole time. The whole time. Yeah. And we do yeah. that. I, I'm here for it. Why not? Uh, I, I would go see that twice on the first day. I would see that, and I would see the Timothy Oliphant tries to kill Daniel Day-Lewis Lincoln sequel. Yes. And, like, you know that Daniel Day-Lewis is like, it's like, well, all right, Timothy, now you have to murder me. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. Maybe that's how it ends. Maybe that is how he finally gets out. Yeah. I also feel like Timothy Elephant would be like, what? And then we'd be like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, sure. Six Emperor Tyrannus. <laughs> All right. Anyway, laser focused. Yeah. Zeroed in. Locked in. Um, this movie just, man, it thinks it's so effing good and it's not. How are, do you think, let's, let's imagine it. Do you think David O. Russell... Like the day they were announcing nominations, do you think he like woke up early? Do you think he invited people over? Oh, was... there was a whole brunch. Yeah, like he he had a brunch. He was like sitting in front of the TV, and he was like, "Here it is, guys. All right, let's see how many." They probably had a pool. They were probably like, "All right, take your bets. How many?" It's like Christian Bale given best director given best picture given best cinematography given. I mean, De Niro probably. I mean, maybe Margot. I think Margot could do it. Maybe even Taylor Swift for like supporting. I could see it. And then they said Andrea Riseborough, and he was like, oh, 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 to Leslie. What? What is it? What even is that? I didn't direct that. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, so I think we're in the silver linings because now I'm just picturing David O. Russell like sad and in his room surrounded by <laughs> friends and loved ones crying about the fact that he didn't get any nominations for this movie. Yeah. Me too. Okay. Um Yeah. Do you want me Timothy to say Oliphant? I yeah. mean Okay, all right, you're saying it, Timothy Oliphant. So look. There's a perfect sequence in this movie. And it is this. That uh, John David Washington and uh, Christian Bale are talking to Taylor Swift on a curb and Timothy Oliphant shows up and this is his introduction to the movie. He runs up to her, shoves her in front of a car that's driving by. She dies and then he immediately goes, those two guys did it. They did it. And it's great. Like it's it's yeah, it's so good. It's such a perfect Timothy Oliphant dick villain move, and I loved it so much. That's when I texted you when he murdered someone and then immediately pointed to the two people who knew that he did it to just preemptively get them blamed. It's great. Yep. And then they don't fulfill that like promise of how good of a villain he could have been, but it's about as perfect of an intro that you can do. No, it that like that is the best sequence in the movie. Like, yeah, and it's not close. Yeah. And the the like murdering of Taylor Swift is properly jarring too. Yeah. Like it. It got me like I did not see that coming. Like, no, in that it, way. And it, it's this movie does have a fair amount of gore when they cut back to the World War One stuff. But like the scene isn't gory. It's just so abrupt and final and. Out of n- literally nowhere. Yeah. And it's great. Um. Yeah, no, that is the best part of the whole movie. Uh, also, this movie does look great. Yeah, the, well, I kind of I alluded to that in the beginning, but like the and I, I don't have his name in front of me. I want to find it. But the cinematographer who did this is like he's a guy that like like he is an in demand, talented uh, cinematographer who I am vamping to find his name. Uh, Emmanuel uh, Lubezki? Lubezki? Lubezki. Lubezki. Yeah, I mean... uh, I believe he's won um, Oscars. Yeah, he was director of photography for Children of Men, Gravity, The Revenant, Birdman. Like, the dude has made a lot of really great... Yeah. Like, looking movies. And no, and this movie looks great, and yeah, it's like it really like does a good job of like the camera being your eye in this movie because this it does have like a very like fly on the wall feel through everything, and that's a really cool just aspect of the movie. Um, and I, I thought I did like Christian Bale's performance. I'll I'll say that I thought I I liked that he was just so weird and didn't care and that made me happy yeah i mean most people in this movie like i said feel kind of flat but he is committed and i and i do applaud that about christian bale if like he gives a memorable performance in every movie i've ever seen him in i don't know if it's always (laughs) the right performance but it is always memorable and he's he's i like christian bale as an actor he's a really good actor Uh, yes but yeah, he he's making choices. He's uh, Peter Falcon it up. Oh, he's Falcon it up. All right. By the way, can I 
you know, if I could take just one moment, we've spent 40 minutes only talking about this movie, but if I could just have just one moment to talk about something that is more related to Peter Falk than this movie, if I, if you will indulge me, I will. The movie, the television show Poker Face, if you like Peter Falk, watch that because I think the spiritual successor truly is Natasha Leone, who has the mannerisms down. She's not doing what Christian Bale is doing here. She's not doing like an impression, but. But she is Columboing for sure. But she is Columboing the shit out of that like show. And I love every second of it. Yeah, she's delightful. She she's the best. And that show is the best. And Ryan Johnson's the best. All of those things are true, and that's why yeah. we don't do Ryan Johnson movies on this podcast. No, although some of you assholes really think we should because you think that they're bad, but they're And not. you're dumb and wrong. You're dumb and wrong. He's he's batting a thousand too. Him and Oliphant, they should work together. Ooh, yeah. Okay, look, Knives Out 3, Timothy Oliphant. Yeah, why not? Yeah. He be the guy that like you think is the bad guy the whole time, but it ends up he's not the bad guy. It turns out he's actually a really lovely guy. It turns out he's actually Benoit Blanc. I'd watch it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, I'm I'm going to give a shout out to Andrea Riseborough, and this is why, because the movie to Leslie is great. And also, I like Andrea Riseborough, and I just watched I rewatched Birdman just to tie all this together uh, recently just because. But she is such a chameleon actor and if i hadn't watched to leslie and there hadn't been the campaign this year i would have continued to not realize that i have seen 1000 movies with her in it because she <laughs> is that good at just being in movies and being the right performance for every movie but she so seamlessly does accents and so seamlessly just fits into worlds that I when I sat there and I watched to Leslie and I looked her up, I was like, oh, Mandy. Oh, Birdman. Oh, like this, yeah. this, this. Like she's been in so many movies and I'm truly delighted. And I actually do think this is a silver lining that I can now identify her in things when I see that to the point that this was the first movie that I watched where when she showed up on screen and I didn't know she was in it going in where I went, oh, it's Andrea Riseborough. Oh, shit. Like, yeah, I'm on it's it. It's a good now. feeling. No, she's yeah. she is fantastic. And. Yeah, she is the epitome of uh, no small roles, only small actors. And, you know, just she's great. Yeah. And go, just see, a, go see to Leslie and, and go see if you haven't seen Birdman or all the other great movies she's been and go see those, too. She's really good in Birdman, too. Really good. Yeah. Which that's the funny thing is when I realized that was her, I, I immediately remembered her from that movie because she she's a very like central character. She's one of the other actors that's not she's the other actor that's not Naomi Watts, like the other actress that's not Naomi Watts in that movie. Right. It's like Ed Norton, uh, you know, Michael Keaton, Naomi Watts and her. Right. And so it's like once I was like, oh, hey, that's her. OK, yeah, well, obviously I know who that is. But anyway. She's great. To Leslie is great. And I'm very happy that she's getting this recognition now because she definitely deserves it because, yeah, she's just been crushing it like, yeah, you know, under the radar. No, for sure. Um, I mean, other than that, like. We watch this movie so you don't have to. That's your silver lining as the audience. Yeah. The silver lining is that we watched it, you don't have to, and that the Academy didn't fall for it. So it's not, it didn't get a bunch of awards if you're like me and for some dumb reason you punish yourself by watching every Best Picture nominee. You don't have to watch this, but look at me, 
I did that and I do make myself watch every Best Picture nominee. And yet I still watched this anyway because I hate myself. But we love you, our listeners. Yeah, but I I want to take that on for you. Like Andy and I can handle it. We we can take it. Yeah, but we want to save you. And look, like, you know, there's there's better. All of these actors have been in better movies. Every single one of them. This is might be every single actor in this is worst movie. That's probably not true. Trying to, I mean, Chris Rock's done some bad movies. I love yeah. the man, but he's done some bad movies. Uh, I'm running through it like, yeah, that doesn't seem Cats like Cats is worse than this, and Taylor Swift was in Cats. Oh, right. I forgot that Taylor uh, Swift. New was Mutants in- is worse than this, and Anya Taylor-Joy was in New Mutants. So I immediately retract that statement with just thinking about it for a half second. I mean, The Crazies was pretty bad with Timothy Oliphant. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's- but no one in this movie is this the best movie they've ever done. No, that's got to be true. It's got to be. Yeah. I don't feel like thinking about it to try to figure that out. <laughs> yeah. Unless it was like someone's first movie. This nope, is anyone's still. debut role. <laughs> they could be in Velocipaster 2, the Velocipastering, and it's still going to be better. I mean, we, we did we it. We did it. Yeah. yeah, we did it. Yeah. Amsterdam. Amsterdam. Silver Linings Playback is a production of HoboTrashCan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. Hi, everyone. I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Stephanie Smarr. And this is Stephanie Knows Some Shit, where every week we are going to tap into Stephanie's brain and share with you some of the insight that she has about cooking, shopping, Top Chef, all of the things that you want to know. Yeah, we're going to tell some stories, enjoy some time together, and really dive into the things that you might be afraid to Google. We might have the answer. I actually, I'm pretty confident we do. We don't.